hand, raise your hand, and hopefully uh, Kevin's standing in the back, and he's got several in his hand. Well, we want you to we want you to be able to follow along, and uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, don't be afraid of that. Just uh, maybe somebody is near you that when I say turn to something, uh, you will they'll help you find it. And if you're like me, and after 40 plus years. I still get lost in the minor prophets, so I look in the index, and I find out what page it is on in my Bible. So if you have to do that, uh, so be it. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 13 with me. Now, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and I am... Going there also. We're going to continue on, a, on the next thought on charity this morning. We have been a long time on, on this uh, particular subject. But I want you to know that uh, Tuesday, next Sunday is a very special day. Pastor's already said that. But Tuesday is a very special day to some people around the world. God even mentioned it. Tuesday is National Atheist Day. Oh, yes. The world calls it April Fool's Day. God even called it Fool's Day. The fool hath said in his heart. Well, this has nothing to do with my message, but years ago I found an article written by a man by the name of Jim Bishop. And he entitled this article, and as as we read it, you will see it's sarcasm and it's tongue-in-cheek. There is no God. Jim Bishop, popular author, 21 books, and including the day Christ died and the day Kennedy was shot. He died, Jim Bishop died in 1987. This column written in the 60s was a favorite of his wife, Kelly. And he wrote for uh, the Miami Herald. This thing's making terrible noises, and I'm going to do my best to try to stop it. Okay. He writes this article, There is no God. All of the wonders around us are accidental. No almighty hand made a thousand billion stars. They made themselves. No power keeps them on their steady course. The earth spins itself to keep the oceans from falling off toward the sun. Infants teach themselves to cry when they are hungry or hurt. A small flower invented itself so that we could extract digitalis for sick hearts. The earth gave itself day and night, tilted itself so that we get seasons. Without the magnetic poles, man would be unable to navigate the trackless oceans of water and air. But they just grew there. How about the sugar thermostat in the pancreas? It maintains a level of sugar in the blood sufficient for energy. Without it, 
all of us would fall into a coma and die. Why does snow sit on mountaintops waiting for the warm spring sun to melt it at just the right time for the young crops below in the farms to drink? Just a very lovely accident. The human heart will beat for 70 or maybe 80 or maybe even more plus years without ever faltering. How does it get sufficient rest between beats? A kidney will filter poison from the blood and leave good things alone. How does it know the one from the other? Who gave the human tongue flexibility to form words and a brain to understand them, but denied it to other animals? Who showed a womb how to take the love of two people and keep splitting a tiny ovum until in time a baby would have the proper number of fingers and eyes and ears and hair in the right place? And come into the world when it is strong enough to sustain life. And he ends by saying, tongue in cheek, there is no God. Let me tell you what. I know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I don't need a Bible to tell me there's a God. I needed a Bible to tell me about Jesus Christ, the Son of God where God would manifest himself. I needed a Bible to tell me about this act of redemption that we're going to talk about this morning. You know why we're here today? I like you. I hope you like me. It's good to be liked. It is. I never gave it a whole lot of thought in my younger years. You didn't like me? Tough apples. That was my younger years. I like to be liked today. But you know, we're not here to be like. It's wonderful to love each other, like each other. I came to church because I know God. I came to church because I want to hear about God. I want to hear about this one that is more than just the creator. He became the redeemer. God stepped out of heaven, put himself, his own Holy Spirit, into the womb of a virgin. You say, how can you possibly believe that? You, you want to know how many thing, times we take things by faith? The whole world is structured on faith and they don't even realize it. Go to 1 Corinthians. Every time I get into the pulpit, I tell myself, stay with your notes. <clears throat> and most of the time that never happens, but... <laughs> Preach, yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have been talking about charity for a great length of time now. And I think we numbered 15 things, and we started out in verse number 4, if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we have, come to, we have come to realize charity is not what we think it is. Charity is not what the world teaches me it is. Charity is something that if you don't read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and there are 13 verses, you're not going to know what charity is. But in verse number 4, it starts out by charity suffereth long. We, 
we have explained some of these, uh, all of these, up to the one we're going to do this morning. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It doesn't, doesn't boast itself. It's not puffed up. But I want to look at verse number 5. We, we talked about uh, charity doth, doth not behave itself seem, unseemly. All right? But I, I want to go to this next one. And even though the word charity doesn't appear in everyone, it's a continuation of the charity thought. And in verse number 5, it says, Charity, stick it in there for sake of understanding, seeketh not her own. Seeketh not her own. Let's pray. Father, Lord, uh, firstly, I want to thank you for saving me. And uh, you didn't have to do that. Uh, You didn't get the better half of the deal. In my mind, after 40 plus years, you got a raw deal. You got a bad deal, Lord, when you got me. But somehow you look beyond sin and shame and guilt and just worshiping myself, and you came looking for me. And somebody here really, we all need Jesus Christ, but somebody here today perhaps is lost. I don't care whether they're uh, five years old or 55 years old. Without Jesus Christ, we're lost. So, Father, uh, I have the privilege and the holy responsibility of feeding your, your people today, reading your, your book. You're going to do the feeding. It's your, it, it's your food, Lord. But I have to speak it with a certain amount of understanding and a certain amount of clarity of my own mind and a certain amount of passion and compassion that somehow God would be able to just use my tongue and use my brain and use my heart to feed your people today. So, Lord, I need your help. I need, uh, I need you. We need you today. We're going to look at a subject and, and how a, a person just fell in love with a Redeemer. And, Father, I want to thank you for this time. What a blessed privilege it is to be able to get together. Nobody's hounding us today, Lord. I can, I can kind of be calm. I don't, I, I'm not afraid of the authorities, at least not yet. May we realize this is the closest time to heaven right here. We're all sitting down at the feet of the Savior, His Word. So, Father, thank you just for your goodness. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my strength, and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As I was reading this, and you go down through this, uh, notice it says, uh, uh, it it, kind of has a genderless approach to begin with. Charity suffereth long, is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Kind of like a neutral gender there. But when you get to seeketh not her own, God gives us a little clue. He uses a feminine pronoun for charity. The first time God gives charity a gender, 
her own, a female, a female gender. And as insignificant as this may seem, in this one little pronoun, female, feminine, God reveals a truth by one little word. You see, knowing that it's a good possibility that somewhere in the Old Testament, or maybe even the New, there's going to be a type of charity. And we're going to find it in the context of a woman. Now, we know, and we've been taught well over the years, that the church, you and I, not this building and not a denomination, if you're saved, you're a church. The Bible talks about a birth. If you're saved, you're the church. The Bible talks about a birth, likens uh, salvation unto a birth, likens, likens it unto a body, likens it unto a bride. Well, go to, go to 2 Corinthians with me, and just go to chapter 11, just by way of introduction. You see, the church is feminine. So, right in the middle of all of that charity, those, I think, 15 things, at least by my counting, God says, charity seeketh not her own. And we're going to go to an Old Testament book, a familiar book for anybody who's read the Bible for a while. But we're going to look at a woman and a man. We're going to look at a woman who didn't seek her own, but she sought the Redeemer. And if you're here today, I can guarantee you one thing on the authority of this book and on the testimony of my life personally and other lives in this place if you seek the Redeemer, he'll be found. Amen. He's not hiding. Amen. He's not hiding. Matter of fact, he's probably standing right behind you today. Right. And all you've got to do is stop and turn around. All right. Go to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, familiar verses again. If you read your Bible, you're going to realize there are recurring themes. Because the Bible is a book of life. It's a book of eternal life, it's a book of human life, and, and it's, it's a book of uh, whatever happens between birth and death, from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find recurring themes that just go on and on and on and on. And God does that because that's the way human life is. Just one, one recurring theme after another. But if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11... Paul is writing to this church, and he says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. Now, we know that the Corinthian church was kind of doctrinally messed up. It isn't that they didn't have the right doctrine, but they, or their practice was messed up, and sometimes they had twisted the doctrine. But anyhow, they're in your Bible, First and Second Corinthians. But look at verse number 2. He says, I am jealous over you with, a godly, with godly jealousy. So jealousy was not necessarily a bad thing. He, he said, I have, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. He's talking to a local church here, but Paul writes to the whole body of believers, the members of Christ's body, 
by birth and by body and by the bride, talking about the church. He says, but I fear, excuse me, let me just back up. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, this charity that we're going to look at today has a feminine pronoun. So the things that God's church, you may not be able to wrap your brain around this, but when God looks down at you and I, I don't care if you're the tallest, biggest, strapping guy in this place or or that young baby over there. When God looks down and looks at his church, he sees his bride. He actually sees a feminine. All right? Charity seeketh not her own. It tells me something about how I'm to be, because we're going we're gonna to look at a verse that David wrote. Now, God doesn't erase the fact that I'm a man. But when God looks, you've got to think about this with your spiritual brain here, spiritual life. When God looks at you, at us as a church, God sees one flesh with him. Jesus Christ looks and sees his bride. Jehovah had a bride in the Old Testament, had a wife. Israel was his wife. Well, Israel's made up of male and female. But when God looks down at Israel, he sees his wife. And when God looks down at this church, he sees his bride. He says in verse 3, But I fear lest by any means the serpent beguiled Eve. What was Eve? Eve was a bride. Eve was married to Adam. And the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. But as I said, we've we've got a house full of men here. What's the Bible? How, how, can, how can I, in the mind of God, as a man, be a bride? Would you go to Psalm chapter 34 with me? Now, when you read your Bible, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to counsel you not to do something. We want you to read through your Bible. And it it doesn't take a lot of effort that you can read through your Bible every year. It doesn't take a lot of effort whatsoever. And honestly, it doesn't. I'm a slow reader. I like to comprehend what I'm reading. So don't uh, don't speed read your Bible. The Bible is one of these books that you can't speed read. Because every word of God is important. All right? Now, we just came to realize that charity seeketh not her own. Charity is feminine. Go to Psalm chapter 34. David is writing here. I have a heading in my Bible. He's, he has changed his behavior before King Abimelech. And, and uh, uh, so it give you some context maybe as you reread this on your own. But I want you to notice verses 1 and 2. I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now watch. And if you don't have this verse this way in your Bible, you've either got the wrong book, or you have one that a printer took a liberty that was not his. But this is how it says. Now David's talking, right? My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. You know what your soul is today? It's the place where God put his seed. A man puts seed into the vessel of a woman, and a birth takes place. Your soul is where God, when you got saved, when you trusted, when you came to a saving knowledge, I like the way that, I just like the way this, this sounds, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When you came to that point where you realized, I need a Savior. I need the Savior. That's when God takes this book, might even just be one verse. I got saved, really, off of one verse, part of a verse in the book of Romans. It's the goodness of God that leadeth a man to repentance. I might have been hard-nosed and worshiping myself, but at that, on that Sunday morning, 44 years ago, I realized, you want to know something? Spirit of God said, I've been good to you, I've been good to you, I've been good to you, and you're run. It's the last inning, and you're, and you're running out of time. And I stood there as a 20-year-old young man shaking like a leaf. Literally. People must have thought I was, I'd lost my mind. Never went down to an altar. Stood there shaking like a leaf and crying uncontrollably. Because the Spirit of God said, You better not walk out of this building. You've got no promise that I'm ever going to knock on your door again. Nowhere in that Bible does, does it tell me that, that God just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. He does many times. Yes. And that morning, one part of a verse in the book of Romans. The goodness of God leadeth a man to repentance. So you're... Your soul, men, this Bible tells you, because that was the place where God put seed. And you see, God's looking where charity seeketh not her own. That's why I'm building this thing. When God looks down at First Bible Church and the saved people in this building and all over the face of this globe, when he looks down at male and female, all through that New Testament, he likens you to a bride. He likens himself to the bridegroom. Because God wants to take this book, the seed is the word of God, and he wants to put it into the womb of your heart. There are five women in the Bible that were part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Five. Five women. 
We'll name them. We won't study only one of them today, God willing. If you go into the book of Matthew, you find the genealogy of the king. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 3, there's a woman named Tamar. Now Tamar, if you go back into Genesis 38, Tamar, uh, Judah had a son. The son died. He had married Tamar. The son died. The next son, by that type of society at the time, was supposed to raise up seed to Tamar. That boy didn't want to do it, and he did something. We won't get into, get into that, but he did something that discouraged, I shouldn't say discouraged, but displeased God. Because Judah's first son that had married Tamar was evil. But the thing I want you to see here, Tamar was a Gentile. A Gentile. We're going to build on this. You know, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, uh, three of the women were Gentiles. Two were Jewesses. Judah had a son, and the second so he died, first one died. And Tamar does something. God has killed two sons. And if you read that chapter 38, it seems like a strange place where God had put all this. But in Genesis 38, Tamar does something. Judah loses his wife. And Judah goes out and reads your Bible. You know what the Bible is? The Bible's life. You know what Judah did? He looked for a harlot. He looked for a harlot. You know what Tamar did? Now, Tamar's his daughter-in-law. Tamar puts off her grave clothes, her grieving clothes, and she, she goes out and she plays the harlot. So here you have this woman named Tamar, and she's played the harlot. Now, she wasn't a harlot, but for that point in time, she played the harlot. You see, this morning, you may think you are so vile and so unworthy and so ruined that God will have no part with you. But as I read my Bible, that's who Jesus Christ came looking for. He put Tamar into the genealogy. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 3. You can read it yourself. Tamar, it's spelled with an H there. T-H-A-M-A-R. The Greek spells it a little differently. That was Tamar. And then you have in Matthew 1.5, you have a woman named Rahab. And Rahab didn't play the harlot. The Bible says Rahab was a harlot. Now, I've heard guys explain, well, she, she was the keeper of an inn. Yeah, she was the keeper of an inn that was filled with prostitutes. She was a harlot. That's what it was. The word harlot has exactly how you can conceive the word harlot. That's exactly what a harlot was. Joshua chapter 2. You read it yourself. Write it down. Write it down. Take notes. By the way, if you take notes in here, in three years, you're going to have a seminary education. We're not, we're not interested in teaching you about the Bible. That's what I got in college. I had, I had seven classes in about six hours every day, Monday through Friday, and you want to know something? Nobody opened the Bible. 
I was so busy, busy reading textbooks that I couldn't even have time. I had a wife, kids, a job, but I didn't have time to read my own Bible. Two years. We're convinced not to do that here, right, brother? We're going to teach you the book. So just bring up a notepad. Just write down the verses. You want to grow, don't you? That's about three of you want to grow, yeah. I want you to grow. I want to grow myself. That's why I keep in the book. That's why I ask questions. That's why I'll write things down. Study it later. But there was Rahab. Then in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, there was Ruth. Ruth was a Gentile. And we're going to look at Ruth today. But Ruth was a little bit even different. Ruth was a Moabite. Can I take you to, you keep your finger, I don't know where your finger's at, probably, uh, hopefully not up your nose, but uh, uh, look at Nehemiah. Go to Nehemiah with me. Find the Chronicles. Just keep going to the right. You find Ezra, you find Nehemiah. Now, do you remember, if you remember anything about the Moabites and the Ammonites, They were the, they were the uh, Moab and Ammon. They were the children that were born by the incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters when they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to put somebody in my lineage, I don't want it to be somebody like that. I probably have guys that were hung in my family. I've got guys who were criminals in my family. I've got guys, and, and, and you know, we don't talk about them a lot. But you know, when you think of God, this holy being, this pure one that we sang about this morning, do you know what he did when he had to deal with man? He took people that were ruined. Yeah. Because you want to know why? He couldn't find any righteous. <laughs> Some people thought they were righteous. But you're here today and you're thinking, I've gotten so far away from God, I am so much ruined that God, God, God either doesn't want me or, or maybe you're saved and you're like the prodigal son and God won't take me back. But you and me, we're the primary candidates. He takes ruined things. And we're going to look at Ruth and find out all that Ruth did. Then there was Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 11. Bathsheba got raped by David, bottom line. Four of those women do not have good backgrounds. And then there's Mary, and Mary's kind of pure and sweet, and God uses her and puts Jesus Christ in her womb. Five women. Charity seeketh not her own. Five women. One woman demonstrates. Out of these five, we're going to look at one woman who demonstrated charity. Now, Ruth, so I want you, I want you to go to the book of Ruth with me. We've started ourselves in 1 Corinthians, but I want you to go to the book of Ruth. Find Deuteronomy and, again, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. 
Ruth is going to show us and reveal to us. And let me just back up in a statement. The book of Ruth is one of the plainest end samples. The way God is going to show the Redeemer and His church. We're going to look at Ruth. And even though it's an Old Testament book, the typology is that Ruth becomes the bride of a man named Boaz. Boaz is a type of the Redeemer. The Redeemer, something that gets... The whole concept of redemption is something is being purchased back. And if you're saved today, that's what God did. That's why the Bible says you're lost without Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a verse, God willing, that will say, if you are sitting here today and you have never come, you know about Jesus, but you have never taken this book at face value and said, I need a Savior. We're going to look at a particular verse in many that will say, you have no hope. Oh, that's a terrible place to be. That mudslide, I, I stand in front of the TV. Listen, I don't know how the older I get, the whippier and the whoopier I get, the more female. I got too many female hormones in me. I stand there in front of that TV and watch them dig through that mudslide where people were sitting on their porch, children were playing in a yard with a dog. And in a matter of seconds, they were gone. And people are reaching through, digging through that mud. And they're finding body after body after body. And you watch it. I look at their faces because I try to evaluate body language. And you know what's written all over their faces? No hope. No hope. But if you are sitting here today and you do not have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, my Bible tells me, and I don't like this, but my Bible tells me you have no hope. Because the only hope of this life and the next is Jesus Christ. You say, I'm going to put my hope in my politicians. Man, you you need to you need to have somebody slap you a good one <laughs> to wake you up. <laughs> You're having too sweet of a dream. Do you realize one man just destabilized the world? He's named Vladimir Putin. Did you ever watch the stock market? You know, he destabilized America. Our president doesn't know what to do with him. So now you know what the president did? He went to talk to the Pope. Probably just ironic that he did it at the same time, but, you know, maybe it was scheduled. I doubt it, but maybe it was. But, you know, one man destabilized the world. Stock markets were down, up, down, up. The European market doesn't know what to do with him. And you know what? He's just a bully. You're going to put your hope in a man? I offer you today the God-man. 
I'm going to read something to you in a bit here. Ruth is a bridge. Ruth, Ruth is this, this revelation of unmerited favor. The pure grace of God, the word is found twice. To someone who didn't deserve it, but when it was freely given. We're going to look at another, we're going to look at a, 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 another relative of Ruth's, I should say of Boaz's, a nearer king, a kinsman, but he couldn't redeem. He wanted to redeem possessions. But when it came time to redeem a person, he said he couldn't do it. And we're going to look at that, that, that nearer kinsman, and we're going to see that he's a type of the law. And we're going to read a verse where it says, because the law, it could not, it could not do something because it was weak. Ruth is a bridge. Ruth is that parenthetical thought. See, Ruth lies between Judges and 1 Samuel. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel. But that's an important place to be. Because in Judges, the last very verse of 21-25, last verse of, of chapter 21 says, No king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And then you start in the book of First and Second Samuel. And First Samuel, you know what they say? Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So here you have the confusion of the judges and the compromise of First Samuel. And right in the middle, God's going to show us charity seeketh not her own. I, we as a church are to exhibit this charity, seeking not our own. Who are you seeking today? That's what you have to ask yourself. What am I seeking? Fortune and fame? Are we seeking peace and safety? That's not going to happen. Are you seeking more out of your 401k? Have you not awakened yet? The money's unstable. <laughs> Take a good look at what's around you. It's unstable. And there stands the God-man. Jesus Christ. And all you've got to do is what Ruth did. And we're going to watch. You know what Ruth did? Ruth got close to somebody who knew God. She didn't act it, and we're going to look at that. Naomi. But you know when it got, came time to get close to Boaz, her first encounter at really getting close to Boaz, you know what she did? We're going to read it. She, she laid down at his feet. You don't come to Jesus Christ full of yourself. That didn't work. How's that working for you, by the way? Look at Ruth chapter 1. Yeah, yeah, Ruth chapter 1. Now, I want to do some reading here. Ruth chapter 1 says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So there, there you see. That there was a famine in the land. Now let me just stop there. Probably sometimes if, I, if I'm reading the Bible correctly and, and others who have made these comments, probably somewhere around uh, Gideon, uh, the Midianites for about seven years, had just uh, terrorized uh, the Israelites. 
And the Bible says when they sowed something in the field, the Midianites would come and just rip it up. So they were taking everything. So there ended up being a famine. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now we know that Bethlehem, Judah, the, 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 uh, the etymology of words, what words mean. Bethlehem, Judah means house of praise. It was a place of, a house of bread and praise. So it was, it was, it was, a, it was a rich place. It was a place where there was food. It was a place where there was, but once again, from Joshua and not completing all the conquest and then judges, and that's why you had to have the judges just to rule over things. But Israel at times was oppressed. Now, let me say this to you. I don't think this is a new statement. Shouldn't shouldn't rock your world. Just because you're saved... Just because now I have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, just because now, according to this book, I am referred to not as a Gentile anymore, but as his body and his, and his, and his bride, and he calls me a son of God or you're a daughter of God, all right? Just because I'm all those good things doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to me. Some of you still haven't grabbed a hold of that. Because somehow you think God is Santa Claus. Somehow you've got enough of the American mentality in you, and me too, me too, I'm one of you, all right? I've got enough of American mentality in me that I think that, like, my government should take care of me. When I get to a certain age, I can pull my Social Security, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm two years away. I'm I'm close, man. Don't you know Jesus will come three days before my Social Security? And and, and I've worked hard for it since I was 15 years old, brother. I've been pulling W-2 since I was 15. But we have this mentality... That just because I live in the house of bread, and I live in this house of praise, and I have Jesus Christ as my Savior, and the Spirit of God says He lives within me, and He's he locked the door and He's sealed Himself in there, regardless of what anybody wants to tell you. He has sealed Himself in there, and He's not getting out, just like Noah, when he got into the ark, the Bible tells me God shut the door. And God didn't open that door until the flood was over. Okay? That's a whole different story. I'm not going there. But just because all of this doesn't mean that the famines aren't going to come. So they left the house of bread. And the Bible says they went to sojourn. Now, sojourn means just a little while. A sojourner, somebody that's passing through. All right. But we're going to find out down in verse number 4, they stayed there 10 years. And the name of the man in verse 2 was Elimelech. Name of the woman was, his wife was Naomi. Name of the two sons, Malon, Chilion. They were Ephrathites. That was even, that was even kind of like a, uh, 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 they weren't a tribe, but they were, they were a group of, the, of a tribe that was, they were kind of like the elite. They had some money. They were, they were, they were pretty comfortable. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came 
into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she, w- and she was left and her two sons. And the two sons, now they were old enough to be marrying these women, and they, in verse number 4, and they took two of them wives of the uh, women of Moab. Now, firstly, we're going to find out, I don't know if I, I had you, did I take you back to Nehemiah and we actually never went there? Probably. I'll get you there. Don't worry about it. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Verse 5. Malon, Chilion died. Also both of them of the women was left of her two sons and her husbands. So now that woman has lost her husband, two of her sons, one of the, 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 these, these Moabite women, uh, Orpah and Ruth, they've lost their husbands, the sons. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that they might return from the country of Moab. All right, I'm going to stop reading there. There's a whole lot of things that were done wrong here. You see, the famine happened. But I don't want to look so much at the famine. I want to look at the results of human reasoning. Because you know what I see in chapter 1? I see ruin. Ruin. Now I'm going to just bring this down where you and I live. I have experienced things in my own life, so have you. Nobody's walking on water here. That was Jesus and Peter. And Jesus, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. It's the only one that's ever walked on water, and that was Jesus. The rest of us are just sinners saved by God's grace. The action was the famine. The reaction was they left the place of bread and praise. Now, I've watched something in dealing with folks in the ministry, watched my own life. You know what you have a tendency to do? We, I shouldn't say you, that's not kind. You know what we have a tendency to do in times of famine? Let me tell you, the first thing that you'll do, you'll stop reading your Bible. You'll just stop. Because you'll say to yourself, what's the use? What's the use? And you know why you say, what's the use? Because you think God's Santa Claus. We think God is Santa Claus. That famine was allowed by God in a place where it was called bread and praise. You'll stop coming to church. Now, when I preach, the pastor will agree with this. I I, I believe he would. I'm I'm, I'm going to speak for him. Don't ever think I'm preaching right to you, even though I'm preaching right to you. Because you know who I preach this message to first? Me. Me. So don't take offense you have, you know, are you, are you telling me? Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling every butt that's in this seat today. Pardon me. I'm talking about every person in this seat today, in this church today. And if I could get more people, I'd tell them the same thing. The first thing you'll do when the famine hits is you will close this book and you, because you know, you're going to do, we're going to look at Naomi. 
when somebody should have been an encouragement in the middle of a heartache, we're going to look at Naomi. Man, she was a mess. Now, I'm not belittling the fact that she had lost her husband and two sons. Now she's all by herself. Her resources are gone. Her love is gone. Her seed is gone. And she's got these two girls. And she doesn't know what to do with them. And we're going to look at what she told them. The results of human reasoning. You see, the famine was a reality. What's being dealt with in chapter 1 here is not the famine, but the reaction to the famine. Joseph Estry, Sr., sent me uh, uh, some books not too long ago. I always always, uh, love it when Joe sends me things to read because the first thing I say is, is he trying to tell me something? Because he always gives me something that's very thought-provoking. Because he sent me a little book that says your reactions are showing. We say your actions are showing. And that's true. But you know there's something beyond actions. It's reactions. Reactions. And sometimes reactions are really what people are watching. They want to watch to see if your life really exhibits Jesus Christ when you start to lose things. When you lose wealth. Jobs. When you lose loved ones. It's happened in this work. When you lose health. It's happened and it is happening and will happen. If you don't realize it, you're going to grow old. I know some of you don't think that. But I woke up and I'm not 25. And it's like, how did I get where I am? And you know what? People... They'll watch how you act, but I can tell you something else. They'll watch how you react. Now, if you go down through here, let me just start with verse number 8. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return to her mother's house. Now watch this. Watch how, and I'm going to give you about six things that Naomi had a problem with. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Now remember, they're Moabites. You know, the Moabites worshipped a god named Chemosh, or Chemosh. And you know what they did to that god? They sacrificed babies. They'd take that little baby over here, and they put that baby into the red-hot arms of a god. And watch that, and listen to that baby scream and boil. That's the god that the Moabites worshipped. The only truth that Orpah and Ruth got was from Elimelech, Naomi, and Malon and Chilion. But we're going to find, we're going to watch something. Because the famine in Naomi's life got bigger than the Jehovah God that she knew, she did something to two young women that destroyed one, and only by the grace of God saved the other. But she tried to discourage both of them. Let me ask you something. When you go through that famine in your life, can you rise above it and encourage somebody? I know it's tough. I know it. Hey, I'm not lying to you. I know it's tough. You know what? You know what, you know what Pastor and I, uh, and I'll, I'll say I'm learning. You know what the hardest thing as a pastor to do? 
Preaching's a piece of cake. But you know what? You know, you know what the hardest thing is a pastor or a minister to do? And you're a minister, by the way, too. We just hold an office. It's to minister to people when you're broken on the inside. When, when you're hurting. When you're just, I mean, you are hurting. It's, it's, you, have to, you have to play the man. You have to get on your hands and knees and say, Lord, this one's absolutely crushing. And then somebody comes and they want to be counseled. And you have to take that book. And you have to open that book. And you have to rise above your pain. And you have to give them Jesus Christ. And when you do it, Jesus Christ ministers to you. I didn't say this was easy. You want to be a wimp all your life? You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? He said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Sometimes you just have to suck it up. No, No, Naomi couldn't do that. Verse 8 says, Go, return to each mother's house. Lord, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 9 says, The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Just go get remarried to some pagan Moabite. Kissed them, lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said, Now watch this, They said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Both of them at that time wanted to go with Naomi. So they must have known, they must have had enough respect for Naomi and this Jehovah God that that they claim, because Ruth is going to say something. Naomi said in verse 11, turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are are there yet more sons in in my womb that they may be your husbands? Now watch verse 12, because there's a word that's going to pop up in verse 12 the first time in your Bible. Now, the word has exhibited itself other times. But you're going to find the word for the first time in the Bible, and it's found in a bad context. Look at verse 12. Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. It was, she was thinking in this temporal. If I should say, if I should say, I have hope. Hope. Because you were, at this point, she didn't have any hope. She had lost her hope. If I should have a husband also tonight and would also bear sons, would you tarry for them till you, they were grown? Would you stay for them from, from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. I'll comment on that in a moment. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave. Now, both of them had wanted to go. Fifteen. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people. Now watch this. And unto her gods. Return thou. Oh, you're, you are really an encouragement, Naomi. I know you're crushed. I know you're crushed. I'm not that hard-nosed. I know you're crushed. I know some of you have lost jobs or trying to get jobs. Some of you got wives that don't like you, and some of you got husbands that don't like you, and some of you got children that think you're an idiot. 
Some of your health is declining. But you want to know something? Don't discourage somebody from coming to the Redeemer. Don't discourage somebody. Rise above. Charity seeketh not her own. Unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. And watch 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Now watch this. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. She was willing. She was willing to let everything go just to be with this woman who evidently had told her about this Jehovah God. But the famine brought out the worst in the family. It brought out death. I want you to notice in verse number 4, talks about they took wives of the women of Moab. That was a distinct violation and abandonment of what God said all through the law of God. All the way back into, uh, I had you, just for the sake of doing it, go to Nehemiah. I know I had you going there and then I didn't take you there. Go to Nehemiah. Now this is many years later. The city and the walls are being rebuilt. You got the Chronicles, and then go keep going to the right. You got Ezra and Nehemiah. But I just want to show you one verse out of because this at the writing of Ruth, ah, let's just say somewhere around 1300 BC. But at the writing of Nehemiah, they're coming out of the, the Babylonian captivity. They've worked their way through that Babylonian captivity. And the, and the pagan uh, king, he's allowing them, uh, uh, Darius, he's allowing them to rebuild. And in 13, just look at uh, Nehemiah 13, 1 through 3. I'll just read verse 1. Nehemiah 13, 1. After all this time, the restoration of the, of the city and the restoration of the building of the walls, and now they're bringing the book of Moses out. And in 13.1 it says, And on that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people. And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite, that's the two sons through the incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters, should not come into the congregation of God. Forever. That's what the law said. Do you know what God was going to do? God was going to break His own law to show you to show you the church that God was going to take Gentiles. Do you know what this did? This famine brought out the worst in the family. They abandoned God's word. If you look at verses 8 and 9, do you know what Naomi had lost? Naomi had lost her spiritual compass. They said, she told them, return to your family and your gods. That was a pagan god that sacrificed children, babies. Naomi, in verse number 12, saw no hope. Naomi was discouraged If you look at verse number 13, she says, For it grieves me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is God out against me. 
Yes, perhaps God was using chastisement to bring somebody back, but He didn't force them to leave. They made that choice on their own. Naomi is defeated. She's a defeated, bitter woman. If you go back, they're heading back to Bethlehem. And verse 19 says, So they went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city, all the city, moved about them and said, Is this Naomi? In verse number 20 it says, She said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. It means bitterness. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. They had abandoned God's word. They had lost their spiritual compass. Naomi saw no hope. Naomi was discouraged. Naomi became a bitter, defeated woman. If you look at verse number 21, you know what Naomi is? She's mad at God. She's mad at God. And I went out full. She didn't go out full, it was a famine. But you know what she had? And she knew it. She had God. If you're at the bottom of the barrel today with God, you're full. You're full. You're full. I'm going to repeat something. I know things... You can't be in this pulpit and things. You better be sure what you say. You better be confident and you better be satisfied that if you open your mouth... Something's going to come across the threshold of your, of your life. When God dies, then I've got a problem. As long as God's alive, by His absolute grace, I'm okay. <laughs> and I'm headed into the last season of my life. I know it. I'm actually looking forward to it. It and all of its pills. As long as God's on the throne, I'm okay. We've lived through enough stuff, Deborah and I, to know that God is real. God is alive. God's on the throne. And even when you're broken inside, you know what God will do? He'll pick you up. He'll give you that song again. When your lips refuse to say it, the heart rejoices and it'll come out of your mouth every time. That's the God I know. And I'm a nobody. If you don't know that God, you can know Him today. You can know Him. You think you're going to fix your own problems? Can you save your own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You can't pay for your own redemption. It's already been paid for. Chapter 2. You have a return. There's a ruin in chapter 1. They left the house of bread. Stay in his book. Stay in his book, and I'm going to say this without any hesitation. You stay in this church. 
You think you're better than every other church? No! But I know what's going on here. I know that this book is honored. That Jesus Christ is magnified. Sinners, yes we are, full of flaws, full of, full of all kinds of stuff. But I know for sure this is where the bread's at. Or I can guarantee you, I wouldn't be here. When he asked me to come back three years ago, if the bread had stopped being fed, if God was not working in this place, I wasn't coming back. You'd think I like Staten Island? Potholes and all the other stuff. And I love you. You. I'm a country boy. I don't know which end of the cow you get milk out of, but, but I get it out of my refrigerator. That's all I know. Now they're going to return. Look at verse chapter 2. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, mighty man of wealth, man of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Now watch something. Where Naomi found no hope, watch what Ruth, Ruth finds. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Verse number 3, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reaper's and her hap, or her occasion, her planning from God was to light on the part of the field. It, wasn't, it just wasn't chance. That's what the word hap. It was an appointment. Part of the field belonging unto Boaz. By the way, I know we got some first-time visitors. You're just not here by chance, by the way. Amen. You're not here by chance. You're on a journey, and this morning this was your appointment. be a terrible thing to miss the appointment. be a terrible thing to blow the appointment off. Don't blow the appointment off. Field of the, belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Ruth has no idea where to glean. Ruth has no idea that God is going to put her into the royal lineage of Jesus Christ. Can I take you? Keep your fingers there. Go to, uh, go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Because that word hap, we get our word happenstance or happening and, or perhaps. Go to Psalm 37. That God would, God would orchestrate. Do you see that Ruth didn't even know where she was going? She didn't know about Boaz. She didn't know all she knew that now she wanted to be with her mother-in-law. Had enough respect for Naomi, even though Naomi tried to discourage her. God overcame the discouragement in the heart of Ruth. But did not overcome the discouragement in the heart of, of, of uh, Orpah. Do you know how important it is for you to encourage each other? It's just, it's, it's vitally important. None of us can fix each other's problems. 
But you know that a word of encouragement? I will never forget. Mel Sabaka was skinny and tall. And I'm short and overweight. And I could never, and I wasn't always like that. I was tall, dark, and handsome like this guy at one time. <laughs> and I got saved and God just did a work on me. But no. I'll never forget. And I try to do it myself. I don't do it like him. But he was taller than I was. And I can remember, I don't know, sometimes because he was a real people person. He could tell I was tired. He could tell I was spiritually bottoming out. He could just, he could tell. It's just like a dad. Never forget this. He'd be talking to me eyeball to eyeball, and he'd take those bony Czechoslovak fingers, and he'd reach across, and he'd put his hand on my shoulder. And just that connection to me was, you know, I believed that old man cared. Just a moment of encouragement. Now, here I am, 64, and you know what I find myself doing? I find myself reaching out and just saying, listen, don't you quit on me. I can remember him saying that to me. Don't you quit on me. We're going to get through this. Don't you quit on me. Encouragement. It, it, it's just one of those, those things that just carries you through. Look at Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. I'm reading Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. Though he fall, doesn't say if he falls, it says though. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth. And his seed is blessed. Ruth didn't even know where she was going. If you go back to Ruth now, she meets this man named, named uh, Boaz. And if you get down to around verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, Then said Boaz unto her. Now Ruth has, Charity seeketh not her own. She has seen this Jehovah God of Naomi, even through discouragement, even through death. She sought to get close to somebody who knew God. And then that person finally on the return voyage, on a return journey, tries to get her to see Boaz. And you get around verse 8 and says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? So he must have been older than her. Go not to, watch this, go not to, to glean in another field. Neither go from thence, but abide here fast by my maidens. He tells her not to glean in another field. Look at verse number 10. And she fell on her face. I'm reading Ruth 2.10. She fell on her face. She doesn't even know who this Boaz is yet, really. But she falls on her face, bows herself to the ground, and said unto him, this is the question. Oh, folks, listen to me. This is a question that I ask myself. As the years have ticked by, I ask myself this question. Why have I found grace 
in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. You think you're a prize? (laughs) Remember, the Gentiles were likened unto dogs, and not thoroughbreds, by the way. The junkyard dog that looks like seven different dogs bled into one. She finds grace. She finds knowledge. You look at verse 11, and Boaz, look what Boaz says here. He said unto her, it hath been fully showed me. It hath fully been showed me. All that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Did you get the clue from reading this that where Naomi had no hope because Ruth gets close to this Redeemer? Now she's got hope. You know where hope is? Close to Jesus Christ. You know where encouragement is? Close to Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exact flip of, of Naomi and looking at Ruth. Now, I want to jump to chapter 3. There's a lot here that I'm overpa- bypassing, but it's needful. Time is of the essence. We've looked at a ruin. She got away from, they got away from the house of bread and praise. Then they decided to return. And in the return journey, they found Boaz. But in chapter 3, you find how, how Ruth responds to this Redeemer. Look at chapter, just read, uh, begin to chapter 3. Then Naomi and her mother-in-law said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, anoint thee, put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet. And lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. He's He's in the threshing floor. He's in the garner. And she came softly and uncovered his feet. Seems strange to us, but it's part of that culture. And laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid. And he turned himself, and behold, now she had uncovered his feet. I don't know if you've ever taken a nap. Leave your feet uncovered. I can't sleep with my feet uncovered. I don't know, just uh, maybe, there's a, maybe there's something in that. But there's a spiritual thing in this thing, too. You know where she went? She went to his feet. If you're going to get saved today... Bow yourself at the feet of Jesus. Came to pass at midnight, man was afraid, turned himself. Behold, a woman lay down at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she said, I am Ruth. Now I want you to notice this. She did not say, I am Ruth, thy, the Moabitess, at this point. She 
She's about ready to find her Redeemer. And he doesn't refer to her as a Moabite. And she's not referring to herself as a Moabite here. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou, O Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not the young men. So he was older than her, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Somebody who says that the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, the redemption, is, is, is not sufficient, or it's not sufficient to be kept. I want you to notice all Ruth has done is put herself at the feet of the Redeemer, and the Redeemer does it all. For somebody to say that I can lose what God has redeemed, is reducing my salvation to some object. Some object, yes, I've lost this watch. And then sometimes guys will say, I found your watch, brother. But salvation is not an inanimate object. Salvation is not some object. Salvation is the Redeemer. The Redeemer who, watch what it says here. 3.11 now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. You know Ruth is the only woman in the Bible called virtuous? Oh, there's Proverbs 31 talks about who can find a virtuous woman. Do you know that even Mary was not called a virtuous woman? Do you know what God's trying to tell us here today? You know, you're, ty- you're, you're, you're Ruth. You know what God, you know what Ruth, what stands out with Ruth? She was a Moabite Gentile sinner, and she got, she came to the Redeemer. That's what church is. A bunch of sinners saved by God's grace. All right? That's virtue. That's, that's all you find here is Ruth coming to Boaz. Ruth, look at, uh, she came humbly, she came seeking. Look at verse 15. By the way, verse 14, just so you realize there wasn't any fornication in this thing. And she lay at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Once again, this is a human story. 15 says, also he said, now watch what he does here. I want you to notice the closer you get to Jesus Christ, now you're not gleaning anymore. The garner, the supply house is opened. The Redeemer is going to feed you and feed you and feed you. Bring the veil which thou hast upon thee, and hold like a big apron. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, laid it on her, laid it on her, and she went into the city. Let me just jump down to verse 18. 